when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome to the start of Waypoint 101's The Thing Retrospective, where we're looking back on that seminal work, the 2002 The Thing video game adaptation. (laughs) Uh, Today we're starting with the source uh, for that august achievement, John Carpenter's 1982 (laughs) The Thing. Uh, Joining me today, we have Gita Jackson. Sup, I'm Gita. Patrick Klepek. Hello. Renata Price. You had so many adjectives for describing The Thing. I loved it. Uh, you know, I was trying. I'm. This is what happens when I start ad libbing. I just turn into a thesaurus and I start <laughs> like trying August. to count. What the fuck is that? August in 2022. Uh, and we have our producer Ricardo Contreras. Yo. Uh, so Patrick, I am curious. Uh, how much? You know, today we're gonna be discussing the movie, but mm-hmm. how much does the movie? Predict the game. How how closely correlated are these things? How well does the game carry it off? All right, so Kato, just don't publish this podcast. Uh-huh. And then in, you can publish this on Wednesday morning. And then once we've played two hours of the thing on Tuesday evening, I'll right. record a bit where I answer Rob's question. Because I have not played the, the thing video game. Like where when we were determining, uh, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for Waypoint 101, I knew a lot of people were going to pick a game that meant something to them and they wanted to share it with the group. My thought was I wanted to pick something off of kind of not the pile of shame i don't think the thing uh the two survival horror game that some people say is a cult hit uh qualified for that but it was one i always wanted to check out because i i think the qualities that make the thing such an excellent film pretty directly translate to ideas that could be extremely cool in a resident evil style horror game like small corridors small groups of characters a lot of tension. Is this thing or is this thing not a monster? Um, and that game kind of came and went. Uh, but it was one of those that like would always pop up in circles uh, that I travel in. Like, ah, that's a pretty good game. I wish more people played that. And so I thought, OK, yeah. I will never go back and play the thing on my own time. The way to do this is like we do all the time at Waypoint. <laughs> I need to turn my life into content. Um, and so uh, and, and the thing. Uh, is is what all time I don't know what you know lists are uh, fungible, but you can find days where I'm like, you know what, the thing maybe is my favorite movie of all all time. Like I don't think that's actually true, but it like exists in that sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, it's one of those movies that I think travels up and down that list based on how 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 recently have I seen it? Because yeah. then you get to the end and you go dun dun, 
Don't don't. And that noise is both the soundtrack and also the thing climbing up the ladder to one of my favorite movies. Of yeah, all time. yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, Patrick, you and I have something in common in that we both really got into horror movies as like our way into liking movies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always found that like for me, I have such a soft spot for the thing primarily because it it is a horror movie and it engages you on that horror movie level but carpenter as a director is such a he is such a particular kind of style that it it is like the 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 way station in between like horror cinema and the entire rest of the world of cinema and that definitely what this movie was for me so there's just this sensation where it's always going to be in my top 10 like i don't even really know where it lands literally today and i was watching it like five minutes ago (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it just will it will never leave i think it's like it gets a special status of like look other movies will come and go the thing you will not leave other movies have to leave to keep you in the in the list. That's just that's just that's just where we are. Some movies <laughs> some movies get that rarefied quality and every time I revisit the thing I find a new reason to justify that, that status. Absolutely. But the game might not get there, Rob. I don't know. I think I feel like with this very likely at the end of this is like that was an interesting oddity. I wish someone took those qualities of a game and brought it into something new. I think that's a, like a pretty that could yeah. be the spot that we end up with on that video game. Uh get out like as you said, sir, this this was one of your uh, like on ramps to broader cinema. Uh, I also like remember that you've actually called this this movie like one of your like perfect movies, and I'm curious like perfect is tough to achieve. And I'm curious why the thing lands there for you. For me, I mean, it, it has a lot of the formal qualities that I really admire in uh, any movie or especially any like any script. You can see how much work went into the script and that it is so contained and the sequence of events really moves so flawlessly from scene to scene to scene to scene. You feel like you're, we're following essentially the thing's crisis in this uh, airbase in real time um, for a large part of it, except for this overnight portion. But it gives this sense of paranoia and claustrophobia that is all encompassing. It is like a completely designed object where nothing really escapes its little hermetic seal of perfection. And that is something like as uh, when I was like making weird experimental films in college that really appealed to me uh, in terms of how to approach a feature. But there's also something that I always always will and always have admired about this movie is just the sheer filmmaking craft, especially when it gets to the physical effects. That's just legendary. I think most people know that this movie has some of the best animatronics you will ever see in scale models and just model work in general that you will ever see on any movie, like makes every single movie you watch nowadays with a lot of digital effects makes them look like shit. So uh, there's, there's some, there's absolute perfection in just this physical visual presentation. But to me, I mean, that to me represents what takes Carpenter, um, it's not like he's not a horror director. He loves horror. His movies are all horror. But you can tell how many other kinds of movies he watches and how much inspiration he draws from those films and to make it to put into his movies and enhance the, the, the horror genre within it in within his own oeuvre. So Ren and Kata, I think um, yeah. I was really curious because I know you've gone into this without having seen the thing and for me, the question was, has anyone really not seen the thing, given how <laughs> present that is in popular culture? I'm curious what your experience of it was uh, as you approached it for this. Well, well, I have a I have a quick actual I have an answer for your original question to Patrick, Rob. 
I think Among Us does a great job of taking the social <laughs> dynamics of the I have thing been smiling and- <laughs> for about 20 seconds as I decided whether or not I would be the person to make that joke. And Kato, thank you for jumping on that You're very pack, welcome. like a, yeah. that like pound of dynamite that was left like on an oil drum. I appreciate you doing that yeah, for me. Yeah, of course. Um yeah. uh Yeah, it's uh especially with the like meteoric rise of among us like still kind of um you know i mean it speaks to the 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 strength of the film that like even knowing the sort of general beats so strongly right like there weren't any surprises when it comes to what types of situations happened in the movie it was almost like oh and that's Here's how that's represented in Among Us. Like you can make a checklist for almost every scene, right? Or like here are different ways that like this got translated. Um, but obviously, like ultimately, like that, like knowing that or like having having seen that before in you know, like Rob was saying, memed to death basically in all sorts of different ways, not just in that video game. Um, you know, it says something about the strength of the the film itself that like all of that still it did still like managed to like capture me like it wasn't about like the surprise of the things it's about how well the tension is held how well you know the actors are portraying like that sense of paranoia how well the camera and its movements through this like two hallways and three rooms <laughs> like right like yeah. you know you feel every part of that like space and it's not big <laughs> like it mm-hmm. looks bigger on the outside than it is on the inside but then you like well, they're suppo- they like- supposed to build exterior sets and then the budget people came in and said no you don't get exterior <laughs> sets which is like part of probably ended up helping the film right yeah. like, that the, the, the quality of being you feel like you are building the map of the station in your head and you know where and, like and you could do a heat, you could do a heat map of like where are the characters in this story right now right. because it's small enough. Yeah, but like part of that was purely because the studio was like, nah, son, like no, you can't go outside. <laughs> um, but yeah, like watching it the first time, still like expecting a little bit to, for some of the magic to be lost because I like, you know, it's 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 one of those things that has like spread through cultural osmosis so like extensively. Um, but you know, it's, it was still stunning. I mean, like, uh, in part also, like, I need to shout out the fucking cinematography in this thing, the like, um, how deep those blacks get yeah. and like, it doesn't look like, you know, it doesn't get too contrasty or anything. Like it's like beautifully kind of like, you know, it sits in that, um, that realm of the unknown. Like, you know, there's something mm-hmm. in that black. You know there's something in that dark. There's uh, something where they make the light, the rays of light always look like moonlight. I don't know what it is exactly, but the interplay yeah. of light and shadow is so beautiful in that the 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 black is not it's not crunching, you know, it's not it's yeah, not yeah. crunching at you, but you can it has a lot of depth in it. It feels like there's particles in it and it feels like it goes on forever. Yeah. They use there's a lot of use of like haze, it feels like. Like probably yeah. purposeful haze machines and stuff to like give the air a sense of like thickness to it. Like it's either yeah. the snow or like people smoking in a scene, but like it never feels like the air is empty, right? Like it like that te- like that tension that you could cut through with a knife is like actually in the 
physical like essence of the air itself in the on that film i think ren were there any surprises left for you to have uh with the thing like were, were there any scares that just completely got you I, I'm not someone who gets scared by movies, really. Um, mm-hmm. So scares, no. But in terms of like as a as like a piece of art, I would say that the thing is possibly one of the most precise things I've ever seen. Like it is it has an unrelenting precision to it that was legitimately astounding to me. That was my biggest surprise, like going into this movie as I watched it was like. It is out, it is operating at like a level of specificity and at like a pinpoint accuracy that is like it, kind of ridiculous to me. The thing that I think about the most is um, so you talk about the practical effects and the way in which like animatronics like are the core of this movie and make every other movie comparatively look like shit. <laughs> and the thing about the practical effects that I love here is the fact that the practical effects are accompanied by certain kinds of direction that make them feel accurate, Mm -hmm. right? There's a specific moment where uh, when the dog uh, at the beginning of the movie is first getting into the crew, when the dog sits down in the room with the other dogs, it moves with a mechanical precision that is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It is weird to see a dog move with that much precision and calm. And it is, it is actively uncomfortable and so when the animatronics start happening and they move with that same biomechanical precision it works so fucking well every single time it is like there is the mix of tentacles whipping which is like visceral and violent and aggressive but the way that the bodies actually move is deeply mechanical like a body that's still learning how to move itself right as opposed to the way that people move which is by activating multiple muscles at one time to create a fluid motion this is a body that doesn't know how to do that because its muscles are unfamiliar it is slow deliberate and uses one at a time in a way that is so fucking gross and so incredibly well done I, I just like could not get over it and that doesn't just apply to the actual animatronics or the um like set direction also applies to like character motivation and character feel and pacing it it was astounding like one of my favorite things is that the core assumption that all of these people make at the beginning of this movie once the thing is introduced is their first mistake and it is fucking stellar yeah because the first mistake these men make is believing that people are different and believing that because human beings are human beings with souls and feelings, they can't be imitated. Or if they were imitated, they would be able to tell. And they can't. That is the first mistake that they make. And then they have to spend the whole fucking movie being like, well, how do we fix this one fundamental mistake that we made at the very beginning of this problem? It is fucking stellar. It's like a Greek tragedy, you know, because it's all of the pieces to their downfall are placed right the right literally right at the beginning if only one of them spoke norwegian they would hear that man saying it's not a dog also if that, man, if that norwegian could wield a gun just yeah. shoot the fucking dog man, yeah, man. Like, <laughs> like how many pot shots are you gonna take like jump out of the helicopter like get down there and shoot that goddamn dog <laughs> the other thing uh. is the fact that like uh, another point to the precision of the film the dog doesn't react to the shots Oh, yeah. Like, the dog is not afraid of gunshots. Gunshots are firing on this fucking dog, and it keeps going. That is not how dogs work. And, like, if they had thought for a second of what, like, had the time to react to this in, like, a rational way instead of reacting to it as, like, there's a man with a gun on our property, they would be able to recognize that the dog was acting weird, you know? There's plenty of hints that the dog is a little freak, (laughs) like, right before, before it actually becomes the thing. But... 
it's it's this thing. It's like a very it's a tendency of like 1950s science fiction, which has also tends to be more didactic. The thing is based on the thing from outer space from the 50s is a science fiction story. There's been multiple adaptations of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I find the fiction of that era, science fiction of that era to be more uh, more obviously didactic than science fiction uh, in the current day. Then you can sort of see how in such a short story, you would want to place all of the clues of who's on, who's correct in their ideology and who's incorrect in their ideology right in the beginning of the story. And here it just becomes expressed in like a very, you know, classical tragedy kind of sense where it's like every single person you see here is making the biggest mistake of their lives. <laughs> well, so I think a good place to start here is we, we got to talk about Jed the dog. Oh my God. Because... This dog. is the first, this is actually, the, the like, so I only saw The Thing a few years ago. Uh, friends mm-hmm. were like, you never saw The Thing? And immediately, like, you know, wait. I feel like, like it's cold, one of those like, movies, dark, though, rainy night. That, like, people cannot, pe- like, when you find out, I think everyone maybe has their personal movies that fall in that category, but, like, The Thing is one of those for me where it's like, if I find someone who says I haven't seen it, it's like, well, great. Well, we're dropping everything we're doing yeah. and we're figuring out <laughs> oh, we were how to watch this. We got, like, a freak, uh, like, it was either, like, like a nor'easter rainfall or might've actually been like a freak spring blizzard. Uh, the night we watched the thing. Um, and so it was Delicious. like the outdoors were, were echoing the, uh, the action. But the thing that jumped out at me, uh, was, and okay. We're all acknowledge that we keep accidentally falling yeah. into the who's on first. Bit. Yep. We're just <laughs> going to, hey, mo- hey, the movie does it too. You can't yeah. get upset at yourself. When the movie The Thing also as constantly has Kurt Russell and other characters being like, you know, The Thing. And so we're good. We're just, yep. you can do a counter. Someone send it to us at the end. I'd love to know how many times. But we need to stop stressing. Just yeah. Let it wash over you. Wait, so, were we stressing about that? I was. <laughs> Rob, Rob was. Time, oh, like, I heard sure someone Kato say is. The Thing. I, um, yep. I yes. had to stop myself from chuckling. <laughs> I'm so, learning that we were stressing. Whoops. When the, but... One of the one of the things that really like struck me in that first act is I was convinced I was like that dog the dog has to be animatronic that was my first thought is like I don't know how they got an animatronic dog to walk down that hallway looking so much <laughs> like a dog because like the dog skulks the dog like reconnoiters it creeps there's the shot the way the shot ends the dog the dog creeps down the hall after they've rescued it it sort of leans out from a from a from an open door at the end of the hallway. And slowly creeps down the hallway, listening to the conversations and appearing to eavesdrop. The dog appears to eavesdrop on what we're hearing on the audio track. It's the magic of cinema that implies that this dog has a human-like intelligence. When in fact, we're just seeing shots juxtaposed next to each other. (laughs) Just seeing a dog having a treat waggled at it from like various (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but but like, so this was, was, so I was watching the commentary and they were like, so here's the thing with that dog. The dog, once it got familiar with everybody on the crew, the thing that made it so remarkable in that shot work is that the camera is not far from that dog. A tracking shot like that, there's there's crew, there's sound, like there's a bunch of people around this dog. The dog was so used to everybody and unselfconscious that it plays the scene naturally and doesn't like behave like yes, there's there's a treat there and there's a camera crew here. And so it just like hits its blocking. And the thing, Ren, where you're talking about the weird precision of that moment. So that's where they do the swap to get the puppet in that's gonna burst open and do the whole the thing thing. But like 
the dog executed the like there's a really tight like patch of ground on that like kennel set that the dog had to like get in this really unnatural posture and sort of settle down so they could carry off the swap uh and make it look seamless for mm-hmm. when it turns into gross puppet time and like the, um the, i was i was the, the, there was i was watching like half of a documentary that i recommend looking up on youtube where like it's john carpenter sitting and just just drilling through cigarettes while talking about this movie and the whole cast of the crew. It's wonderful. And the, the actor who, I forget the, the character's name, but you know, the dog wrangler, um, Clark. he, this dog is half wolf and they, he was talking about how on set, the wolf part would just like get turned up every once in a while. And the one thing they were told about that dog was that it's, it's a wonderful dog. It's not used to being on set. You know, it's going to take some time for it to get adjusted was that, if the dog, so that uneasy quality of like, this dog is just staring at you, kind of dead eyed. That was when like the wolf part was kind of coming out of it. And you were told on set to like, calm down, like don't make any like anxious moves because <laughs> there was like a genuine worry that the dog could do almost anything at any time. And so like some of those shots where like Jed comes up and like, it's just kind of staring at everyone. It accomplishes the task of making it feel so alien slash human but was also like this part of this very specific breed of dog i guess just it's just such an odd like any other dog this movie loses a lot like or it's a different it's a different feel um like yeah sorry my friend matt i was talking about this movie with maddie like right before this podcast and she she also was talking about this how perfect this dog is one thing i do want to say is like with a shot reverse shot where it does you know dog walking into that spot of moonlight you know, reverse shot to a dog's walk, looking at it, growling, sensing something is weird. What I love about that moment also is the dog isn't immediately burst into horrible alien stuff. It starts shaking, which is such an unusual <laughs> thing for a yeah. dog to do. Don't like and, it. And, and again, that's the, that is the thing that makes every one of the animatronics in this movie work so perfectly for me is that these animatronics are combined with the kinds of they are they are so clearly established by the way that both the dog and also human characters move when infested by the thing there's a very particular mode of movement that is that is identifiable the the second before it actually becomes a problem, which again just contributes to my love of like the film's fundamental premise that like yeah. you couldn't fucking tell. You, you can see that reflected tell. when they catch um, the redheaded ball guy. I never remember anybody's. And name. he starts screaming. There's yeah, so many characters. Well, there's so many characters in this movie, right? Yeah. Like it's tw- it's a twelve person ensemble where it's like I'll just remember McCready and then yeah. I'm good from there. And McCready, they're like, Wilter Brimley's Childs. in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> McCready, Childs, Clark, Blair, yep. Blair. I remember. Yeah, Hopper. Uh, who's the captain? His his last name is Copper Cooper. Um, but that's the guy with the gun at the beginning of the movie oh, who fucking murks yeah, the guy. Yeah. Um, oh god. Um, I don't remember the others. Like I, I can get through half of them. Yeah. But when when the 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 one guy we were talking about, the redheaded guy, <laughs> the bald headed yeah, redheaded guy, he when he does that thing, it's like oh, a, a perfect shot of act for like a perfect shot. But that's it. Was in his reel for years. Where it's just this perfect moment of like the humanity, like what we what we dis- would describe as like a soul or what is implied to be like a human soul, basically in this movie is just like sucked out of him. Like you don't see anything right. there. It is exactly like he's an animatronic. It, it's it's a very it's like a and then it it does so exactly harken back to the way the unnatural, uncanny qualities of the dog from the beginning of the movie, where it is a man, but that's not doing anything like we've ever seen a man do. Right. 
And I, and I think that like, oh, it just does such a good job. Also the fucking, the McCready's premise of how you deal with this situation and how you figure out who is and isn't infected is so well done because again, it's the idea that every single part of this body is trying to survive and therefore you can do as much weird shit with you want as with this body as you want to. The head can break off. Like You can have these weird, uncomfortable mechanical movements mm-hmm. while still suspending the audience's disbelief like completely. I love I think how it's, like, visceral and disgusting those autopsy scenes are right after oh. they catch the dog. What is it covered in? It's like petroleum and like jello. It's disgusting. And they keep digging their hands into it and making these sounds. I love that stuff. The um well, and this is this is also one of the things where practical effects seem miraculous to me at times. And mm-hmm. one of the things that um like Carpenter's talking about is so right after they rescue the dog. They do send uh, McCready and one of the other guys out to the Norwegian uh, research station mm-hmm. to be like, what the fuck happened? And of course, the entire thing's foreshadowing. Like, all the things that are going to happen for the rest of this movie happened here first. We can see the residue of them right down to an axe buried in a door. <laughs> but there's a guy there who has, uh, you know, killed himself and he's sitting there in a chair, sort of glazed with ice. And Carpenter's talking about, like, this rubber model looked terrible. Like they're they're on their they're 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 on set being like oh fuck oh man like this is, is this why up. they shoot it from the back then so you actually don't see the front of the no this, they knew the shot they were gonna do apparently okay. but he was just like even what we see he was like looked terrible in person he was like there's no way this is gonna work and the and the uh, model maker for that I don't know I don't know if it was Rob uh, Botton in particular for for that one but who's tw- who's Rob Botton the special effects like lead. Is yeah. 21 years old Holy when shit. he does this film. He was like a super fan, right? Who like he was, a car- he was a carpenter super fan who uh, knew somebody who knew somebody. Got onto the set of The Fog during like a like a production meeting. Like sat in the back and then like raised his hand when they needed somebody to like wear a mask for a scene. He's like, I can do it. And they got along famously. And then he turned 21 on the set of The Fog. And then Carpenter later reaches out to him and is like, Hey, we're doing the thing. Do you want to just? be the guy that does all of it. And then I guess had a bunch of health problems on set and like had to bring in folks from like the Stan Winston workshop because he put so much of himself into the film and was like unable to like de-stress or take or take time off. The the effects are, you know, wonderful, but like it's a it's a wild trip Jesus. to that guy getting but getting in charge of it. I can't imagine like the thing about how stuff is going to show up on film. Like cuz this yeah. is, you don't have it's not like it's not digital. You can't immediately see. There's like, no did we get it. It's a not. storyboard, and then you're on set, and and even I'm sure what it looks like raw with the camera, the lighting on set is not. You have to do some sort of suspension of disbelief, right? Um, and also, and you so, see it so much. Right? You can see the imperfections of the practical effects. Right? Like, oh, I, I know what I know. And <laughs> this hand is cracked. Like, surely this will d- destroy it for the audience. But you know, if, as the audience, you know, you don't, you may not see any of those things. Except, but so much of it is also just an act of faith. I think that like Carpenter eventually just has to trust this guy that like this is going to show up right on film. This is going to look okay. We're going to light it this way. It's going to be. It's going to be fine. It will at least be able to fudge around it. And instead, it's unforgettable. You know, it's not just that it passes the test. It's that like everything in that Nor- that like Norwegian research station they go to, which is just their set that they blew up at the end of location shooting, so that they could shoot the burned down. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's oh incredible. 
Incredible. Uh, but like everything about it is just utterly indelible because it is such a creepy space where like it everyone is it's like the moment is frozen, right? Like yes. literally like everything that was happening is stopped like in Medias Res in this station. That's I think part of the strength of of the specific practical effect that you're talking about of of this body is is the thing that I love about it is the whole station is is blown to shit. It's everything's for, literally physically frozen in there, and also like the way that ice and like goop in this movie interact is extremely interesting to me because I'm thinking about that the way that body looks is that body looks like the blood froze as it was still coming out into like, but not as in icicles. The blood is not in icicles. It is globby and weird and strange. And it doesn't feel like a person's blood. Yeah. Right. That the blood in that moves like the thing's blood. Yes. Moves as a like human and not human, but like living and weird and terrified. It's like the uncanny moment when you see like glass from a very, maybe this is only relevant to me because I grew up uh, in new England where people are obsessed with the first 13 colonies. Mm -hmm. But when you go to one of those place, old timey towns and you see like an actual colonial house and the mm-hmm. glass panes at the bottom of the glass is thicker than it is at the top because glass isn't actually stationary. Glass is a liquid that's moving very slowly. Like that's something that just always freaks me out when I think about it. It's like the natural world is actually terrifying and there's a lot we do not know about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the... The quality of, like, I think it helps that in some ways it looks so artificial, but also I think that that calls to mind the alienness of it. Like, the autopsy scenes, the materials are also weird. The fact there's a sculpture underneath it that they mm-hmm. they they wrap in all this goo and shit <laughs> is like, like I guess some sort of like porcelain sculpture or something like it, where it's like a hard, it, it's, it's a hard like ceramic or, or plastic material. And like the interplay of those materials makes this thing just look more fucked up. Right. Where like the way they peel it. Oh God. The way Wilford Brimley is that peel this thing. We're going to see its face crack open, mm-hmm. but as they start like doing the autopsy stuff and like, it's just layers of layers of nightmare in this thing uh and it it works beautifully run i think part of the strength of layers of nightmare is like from a narrative standpoint that's literally what it is like the whole premise of of the creature is that it has chameleoned its way through more more species and more ideas of being alive than we can even conceptualize of and so when you crack into it the thing that you find is everything in between it is like cycling like like it's caught cycling like like literally happens is like at one point sorry i'm saying like a lot at one point the thing has a dog's head a human head dog are like, it's trying to cycle through yeah. the thing that it wants to be in this moment. And it can't, and then, or it is yeah. struggling to, and it's like so gross and weird and alien that it feels right. That underneath is just a broken amalgam of like bone and porcelain. I remember the first time I watched this movie and always being like astounded at the creativity of the ways the thing would evolve to develop and evolve to escape a dangerous situation. 
Uh, obviously, the blood test scene is probably the most fun example of this. But look, well, there's a scene like later on in the movie where they think they've gotten all of the thing, and then they see a little head crawling away, and it just spouts spider arms. So when a character is just like, "Oh my fucking god!" I mean, as it, it, like as it like skitters away, and it's one of the few. It's not a movie that's very funny. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, but that is one of the few moments of like true levity yeah. in the midst of the nightmare is like as it skitters away and they have the shot where everyone tilts like the thing the thing thinks I'm out of here and then like everyone's just watching this nightmare <laughs> spider go away and the movie just pauses long enough at a really dark part i mean it's a movie that's like dark and cynical um and it doesn't give you a lot of moments to sort of like take a breath but it is one of the few times where like i laugh at that scene Every time, because so it's clearly meant to be funny in, in a way that, like, the movie otherwise does not operate on that mode. And I, I, I adore that moment. Well, no, I was just going to say, this is the, you got to be fucking kidding. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, the yeah. part. Yeah. And I think the reason, the reason it works, but doesn't seem like too much of an annoying wink at it either, is, like, also, these are, these are guys on a job site. Like, at a certain point, you are just going to be overwhelmed by this. And, like, this is another thing to deal with. And, like, it will be funny because you'll lapse back into – you'll adjust and you'll lapse back into the same things of, like, oh, great, this shit. <laughs> one of one of the things that I was thinking about a lot, actually, is as Gita was describing the movie, is that they mentioned that it all takes place in the course of, like, it is all, like, basically real time, right? Our camera's perspective is basically real time. Um, and the thing that I was thinking about is, like, the film does such a good job of making making time feel both horrifying and mundane uh, in the same moment. And like, if you told me that the thing takes place over the course of three weeks or the thing takes place over the course of one night, I would believe you either way. Like, it, it is it is astounding. There's like one conversation where they're talking about how um, we need to start cooking our own food and only eating from cans. And like, it it totally expands the time scale that the film is working in or that the characters are working in yeah. and it enhances the tragedy because it shows that like one person is thinking about a longer time scale and that is a mistake the most you are never going to get to do it yeah, the most interesting moment in the movie which took me you know the first time i saw this movie i was in high school and i've seen it multiple times over the years it used to be this is a weird thing to say, but it used to be a movie i would just put on just like out of comfort because <laughs> i'm yeah, so the, the, familiar I'm with sure. it yeah I can't. I can't remember my first viewing of it, but I'm. I'm almost certain it is. Most of my entry into horror was putting on the like AMC's like I forget what they call their Halloween like fest. I don't even know if they do it anymore. But yeah. it was back in like it was the earlier really days good of cable. When they did do it, and they would just have movies on all all October. That's just mm-hmm. all. That's all they did. And mm-hmm. like so, mm-hmm. I would just have that on. And so I don't think I saw like the entirety of the thing for a, a very long. I would just like flip this on while I was eating dinner. Like oh, I'm watching the last. 30 minutes of the thing because that's what's airing on right now. And so um, I found myself in a similar spot of like just kind of like pulling these sections of the movie out of my head, but not necessarily having a A to Z narrative. Yeah. Now, the beats are just became very comforting because it is such a composed movie because each thing flows into the other so perfectly and the characters seem so complete over the the time there. And because it, it is kind of different in each viewing, because it is also really opaque about the interiority of the characters, the most you get in the beginning about the interiority of the characters is um, Kurt Russell, McCready, getting really angry at the chess robot. 
And that's like the most you really <laughs> learn about a character's <laughs> point of view is like this guy doesn't believe that he can lose. And he pours his fucking whiskey yeah. in the machine. It's the funniest fucking shot, yeah. as you're saying. It's Sorry, not, Gita. It's not just that he doesn't believe he can lose. He'd rather burn the whole thing down than lose. Like, essentially, <laughs> it's what you learn right there. Um, but it makes these moments like I didn't understand why what that person had figured out, Clark, I think it's the communications guy, had figured out yeah. when he starts taking an axe to the machine. But yes, now, the doctor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now I understand, of course, that like he that one scene where he is like there is there's a beat on his face right after they do the autopsy. And then the next I think is a smash cut into them not having any communications anymore, any radio anymore. And you now I understand like there is a whole there was a whole like ecosystem of thought going on inside that man's brain that could only be expressed in drinking himself to like going and getting insanely drunk and trashing their place because he's so terrified of the implications of what this thing can be. I was also going to say like the other thing I love about this is that like the movie does have a fundamental assertion of what of what the actual human trait is Mm -hmm. that it hits on so many times and through so many different versions with each character uh, each character has a moment where it's like, where the film seems to be going, this is the fundamentally human thing that you can use to identify people. Uh, and it makes that, it articulates that most clearly in the blood test scene, mm-hmm. where like the thing that you have to do to clearly articulate your humanity is to like choose to put yourself in harm's way uh, intentionally yeah. uh, and be willing to accept that moment of of threat. And every character before they're taken gets to gets a moment where they do that but through vastly different means and like totally different character modalities which i think is really cool um to the thing that blair sort of realizes after that like there's a couple moments with with blair he does the autopsy he has a combination he has a conversation with the dog wrangler uh man sir and begins the simulation and he runs the simulation that like this thing's going to be a runaway uh, infection. And this is where like, he's the first character to sort of realize that actually we're all dead. Like mm-hmm. the, 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 the thing that we have to do here is like basically waste this facility and nobody makes it out. And it's like quarantined uh, that way. And so he does, he does make that decision, but he can't, he doesn't tell anyone his full realizations, right? He just mm-hmm. like, because he doesn't know to trust, and also he knows that hope here will get everyone killed, like humanity killed. I think and, he and, genuinely loses it too, yeah. though. Like I think oh, something yeah. like at the end of that calculation, he sort of snaps. Like he like the actual like realization of what they have stumbled upon like causes him to like lose his fun. I mean, I, I agree with you that yeah. he he goes through the motions of like if I was to tell everyone this, yada yada yada, would cause probably like he like it's one of those things like in a different movie someone having that reaction, it would fall into the trap of, part of what makes the thing so good is I think characters generally act pretty rationally. And as the audience, you're like, yeah, this kind of makes sense that like the characters would be doing this given the information they have, mm-hmm. given the the, the, the the archetypes that are present. And um, like when that man is trashing the communications, I'm like, yeah, man, yeah, get drunk and smash that shit. Yeah. Like, like that makes a lot of sense to me, That's actually. The only uh, rational reaction you can have to the information that he's learned is, is like right. losing your fucking mind. I'm going to be responsible for the downfall of humanity and countless other civilizations when this thing gets the fuck off this planet again. Yeah. So, and and this is, I feel like there's probably a version of this movie where he sits down and presents his findings. Mm-mm. And like explains like here's like and it becomes like how do we how do we like 
detective our way out of this. And of course, we don't get fully privy to what he knows. We get some allusions to it. He's like, some of you probably know what I'm talking about. Alluding to the fact that he already thinks there's multiple people who've been like subsumed by the thing. Right? <laughs> He's like talking yeah. to the thing. Right. Like, hey, like a parent scolding yeah, their children. We're, like, we're doomed, so we know <laughs> but I'm stealing your victory here. Like you are not like you're not going to get away with this. But because he can't like because he doesn't know if he's talking to a person or the thing, he has to sort of uh, keep this to himself. And, you know, by the end, he will. Well, and this this is something else that interests me. It does not appear that they had like even according to the commentary. People making the movie and on set didn't really know what the rules were governing the thing. Like there were argue, there was discussion and argument on set about like, for instance, here's a big one. And it really changes how you read the movie, mm-hmm. depending on what your answer to this is. Mm-hmm. If you've been infected before you're completely subsumed by it. I, I know what you're going to say. Do you know? Like, yeah, do you right. like, do you like, do you have a suspicion that you are that your body is no longer your own or. Are you completely thingified the minute it's got you and you're just going through the motions? Um, that's that's like a major question about, like, can people be part of the survivor crew? Like, God, we got to get out of this and already be a carrier. They well, didn't appear to have an answer for that in the shoot, but it was a big it's a big open question. Well, it's like the it is to me like the fundamental thematic question of the film, like one of mm-hmm. the fundamental thematic questions of the film was like, what is it? What does imitation actually mean? When you were talking about imitating a human being, what is the unimitatable characteristic? And the film seems to argue that there is no way to fucking know. You have no way of knowing for as much as you think. Well, actually, I think the film does believe that there are unimitatable characteristics. But the thing that I find really interesting is the fact that none of these men have the ability to see it in each other because... This is a very intimate film in terms of its shotting, in terms of how it's shot, in terms of how it is paced. In terms of character relationships, it is anything but. These motherfuckers <laughs> they don't seem like friends. These motherfuckers they, none know of them like each other. Nothing about one another. They do not know a single goddamn thing about each other. Yep. And it makes that like imitative quality so much they're so much more vulnerable to it. They are uniquely yeah. vulnerable to it because of their inability to connect with each other interpersonally. Every character There's has never- like a, a I'm just here so I don't get fined vibe <laughs> when they show up. <laughs> God, sorry. Well, no, it's fine. I was just going to point out that one of the classic things of like body swap things is always like a scene where you try to get information to figure out which one's the real one if like there's two of a person or something like right. that like there's never anything like that here right it's never about questioning people because they've they've given up on the idea that they know each other well enough to ever like have the question that would like you know like like Ren was saying like they don't know each other or at least assume they don't know each other well enough to ever make it about like a cerebral thing about like you know, memory or something like that. It can't know, but like they like throw that out of the window at the beginning because the uh, Blair says like it will it will have the memories of the thing it subsumes, right? Yeah. Well, but yeah, it's like I mean, it is a movie about male intimacy or its limits, and mm-hmm. I think part of it, part of the other reason this is such a perfect setting for it is every one of these guys has this vibe of, like. You don't end up in an Arctic or Antarctic research base no. because, like, all the other options were, you know what I mean? It's it's like, like, you choose this, you choose to do this because, like, somehow this sort of isolation, this is better than being 
in the rest of the world. And so all these guys are like the reason there's so, such easy marks for this thing is like they're all last names to each other and they're all roles. Now, admittedly, mm-hmm. that's how we see them in the movie, too. Oh, it's doctor guy. It's comms guy. It's helicopter guy. <laughs> it's dog guy. But like they see each other that way, too. And so like all the thing has to do is like be vaguely impassive and procedural and they can't tell the difference because like does any does any one of them ever allude to a personal fact about each other or like a life outside the base no not one time another aspect about characterization that i really love in this movie i've been thinking a lot about like the way in which this is a military base so this is an arctic research military installation partially military partially civilian installation right the way that McCready moved, I, I was thinking a lot about like, what does the thing look like if it's made, you know, in 2022? Or what does it look like in the in the, the post 2000s, right? Well, go, go, go see. It's the 2011, 2011. Uh, prequel, which I it accidentally takes, ended up with a digital code for. It's oh, a, it's boy. A, the thing that I'm fascinated by is the way that McCready handles a gun. And the way in which, like, he holds a shotgun like this, where he's holding it against his body, and the other hand is a flat. That motherfucker is not tactical. None of these g- dudes are tactical. None of them act tactical. None of them are like graceful or like or like have military precision. And it's one of my favorite things about like the characterization where the movie is shot is that like a, a lesser film would have tried to indicate competence through military precision, mm-hmm. and that is not what works here. That is not what works in this context. And if you try to use it, you will fucking die. The only thing that works is being a weird little freak. <laughs> Just talk, casually talking, some, tossing some dynamite around and see what happens. Exactly. Does it, does it work? <laughs> I, I mean, who's well, to say? Well, the, ending, the ending is I, a whole well, I separate. Also, I have an actual, a, a different question up front is, um, his name's, what's his name? Blair? The, mm-hmm. the 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 guy who was doing the autopsy and figures all yes. this stuff out and yeah. like is he got oh yeah at the 100%. beginning at the beginning at the beginning yeah like the, is the whole right, thing a right. setup is the whole thing to like like the the thing has figured out the best way to get out of the situation is to sow distrust and like begins from the beginning of the movie a way to like make themselves destruct until it's the only thing left. Well, like the first person who gets got, I'm no, I, I'm certain who the first person who gets got is. The first person who gets got is the is the redhead. He gets bitten by the dog. He gets nipped by the dog. Yeah. In the first in the first scene that the dog is in the building, the dog nips him. He's like, yeah. oh, fuck. He's got. He got got immediately. I think yeah. the thing about Blair, Blair figures it out. Blair does not get got until later. I think yeah. I think Blair gets got. Oh, I think I know when it is. It's when he's getting the shit beat out of him. When they are beating the shit out of, he punches him. Yeah. And that's when he gets him. And so I think that Blair, by the time he gets to the shack, he is got and doesn't know it. And then once he's alone in the shack, that's when he breaks out. That's when he starts building. Well, that's versus the, just but, breaking. But shit. if he's already, if he's already got, then the whole like McCready watch and i forget who tells him to watch is it cooper it's clark, clark. he tells him yeah. to watch clark yeah. and clark isn't it yeah. right yeah this right. is what it's saying like so it's already like if yeah is he gone there then he's like sowing distrust yes. already right like mm-hmm. there's a lot of moments where you're unsure if it's uh, a general distrust from a person or 
machinations of something that we can't see, right? Well, that's and that's this, why I I actually like that when like Rob pointing out that the rules were either inconsistent or maybe purposely like just they hadn't settled yeah. on them. Like I try not to even think about that stuff too much when I even watch the film because part of what I love about it, I think if you were to sit down and do like. There's probably a lot, lot of logical or like inconsistent things in this film, and I just don't give a shit because like the general right. confusion, like is thematically appropriate and is part of what I love about it. It's like I just, I don't know, uh, you just kind of let it wash over you, um, and it, maybe it still works if you actually are, are to pick it apart. But my suspicion is that a bunch of well, it would, would then, if the rules <laughs> are fungible, there's nothing to pick apart, and that's right. what I kind of dig about right. it. Right? Yeah, like, and that's and that's right. That's you're you're correct, yeah, and that's I, a thematic core. I I love that there's a mystery at the heart of this. I do want to take a step backwards and just talk about how the other aspect of this, which is how much of this distrust comes from an outside, you know, interloper or mm-hmm. how much of it is just innate to like the limits of masculine identity. Uh, Childs and McCready has always been the central relationship in this film to me. Right. Because they begin this film not liking each other, obviously. Yeah. And they continue to not like each other throughout the entire film. It's a very Seinfeldian. There is no hugging. There is no learning over the course of this movie. <laughs> those, those sides only get entrenched further and further and further, especially because Carpenter... I mean, I, I think it's a better movie for not necessarily having its entire lore of the thing baked out, right? 100%. It's so much, yeah. so much better. 100%. Because people, I mean, it doesn't matter to me what the answer is to who is a thing and who is not a thing. It, it just lends enough mystery <clears throat> that you get to actually use your brain to think about how you feel about the characters and who you personally trust over the course of the movie. And Childs' presence as someone who always calls into question whether or not you can trust McCready is so essential to that. Keith David is amazing in this, and I just have yeah. to say it, he looks so fine. He looks so he fine in this movie. His first, his first, he, it's not his first movie role, but it's first major movie role. And I was reading about him being, uh, who, they, I should look up who, there's a lot of like, um, sliding doors moments on this like film of like who they could have cast and who they're looking to like I'm like but Keith David they 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 settle on him and but he was a theater actor prior to this and apparently like on set had to be constantly sort of like talk himself down and be told to stop acting out all of your emotions at 200% because he is used to being on a stage yeah. and like having to project that for an audience to understand the in- interiority of his character and yeah. just ha- and he's such a huge presence like mm-hmm. even as as he becomes a more seasoned actor and learns uh, uh how to channel that um but he uh i guess like constantly on the set had just be like hey keith like chill out like <laughs> just like let let the rest of the movie do the parts that you that you have to make up for when you're like on a stage and projecting on your own you can so tell he's a stage actor too just the way he yeah. enunciates his t's that's yeah. something yeah. only stage yeah. actors do <laughs> the last thing about the mccready child's relationship that i really love is that both of them come to the correct, they come to the correct conclusion basically at the same time. Like the two of them hit the same point, but they fucking hate each other so much where they're like, we both know what's up, but we are not going to fucking team up. You are going to go with that motherfucker over there, and I'm going to go with this motherfucker over there. We are not, we are, you are right. We are not working the fuck together. And it's so good. And then the final moments of the film, which is possibly the only semi-genuine emotion that is expressed by any of these men is the two of them being like, well, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, fuck, is the only genuine expression of emotion in this movie other than, ah! (laughs) (laughs) It's, ah! And, oh, fuck me, I guess. 
Uh, before before I lose it, uh, I want to just read this. So Kurt Russell was involved in this is from Wikipedia, involved in the production before being cast, helping Carpenter develop his ideas. Russell was the last actor to be cast in a June 1981, by uh, which point second unit filming had already begun in Alaska. Carpenter had worked with uh, Russell uh, twice before, but wanted to keep the options open. Discussions with the studio involved using actors Christopher Walken, Jeff Bridges, or Nick Nolte, who were either unavailable or declined. And Sam Shepard, who showed interest but was never pursued. Uh, and then for uh, uh, for Keith David, Jeffrey Holder, Carl Weathers, and Bernie Casey were considered for the role of Childs. And Carter also looked at Isaac Hayes, having worked with him on Escape from New York. Ernie Hudson, from Ghostbusters most notably, was the front runner and was almost cast until they met Keith David. And then basically said, fuck it, we're going with Keith David. Which is just wild to imagine – I mean, obviously, actors change the tone mm. of the film, but like this okay. specific kind of quiet film, I, I do think that Carl Weathers could have worked. I think he actually would have been pretty good. Well, here's yeah. the thing: I think like one of the reasons the thing is like it is in many ways a horror play. The set is so confined, yeah. and everything. As you're reading that, it's not like oh man, they came so close to ruining it. It's right. like I see four interesting films that are just mm-hmm. wildly just shoot, different. Yeah. Based Why didn't on John Carpenter shoot the thing are? four times? <laughs> right, with just a different cast yeah. every time. My and God, I so. Think, like, oh, please, Gita. Oh, sorry. I uh, just as like a brief aside, one of my favorite things is applying like watching movies that just take the thing format and apply it to a different environment. So <laughs> I I know I've talked to Patrick about this, but the faculty is just the thing in a high school down Wonderful to like movie. they do the blood test thing, except it's like they all have to sniff the homemade crack that Josh Hartnett makes <laughs> in order to prove that they're not one of the thing because the thing explodes if it does drugs. And I think oh it's so God. great. Excellent. Yeah, so they have to spend the next scene like tweaked out and also paranoid. <laughs> it's really, really amazing. Uh, also, John Stewart's in that movie. Forgot about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a surprisingly versatile format, and I, you know, I like that this movie is all men. I would absolutely love to see in a Yellow Jacket sense a version of this movie that's all women. I feel like that could be also a super interesting examination of the limits of female intimacy. And and Carpenter said he specifically did it. He said, like, I guess the we're going to watch. We're going to do a thing with the the 50s movie uh, Mm -hmm. later this month. Um, But uh, and I've never seen that. But, you know, that movie has, you know, several women in, in the cast. And he said specifically, he's like, I think this movie is more interesting if it's all a bunch of like weird men locked together i think i think he was like right to make that choice for like yeah. the specific story that he was very telling. rob eggers lighthouse vibes just like yes. paranoia, yeah. and paranoia. i cannot stop thinking about the fucking lighthouse <laughs> as i watch this movie yeah. uh, also annihilation <laughs> fuck hey yeah. yeah annihilation is the hey, best team. companion piece to this movie absolutely yes hey team can we do something with annihilation soon sure <laughs> jeff vandermeer come on the pod i know you jeff- follow me come on the pod jeff vandermeer I will pay you to talk about those fucking books. I swear to God, you, it doesn't even have to go up anywhere. My guy, I will give you $45 tomorrow. <laughs> Jeff Vandermeer, you, if, you hear, if you hear this right now, let us talk. Please, King. I mean, that $45 uh, is, will, of course, be a discounted Waypoint Plus annual subscription. <laughs> um, but really. I'm, no. Again, not for, con- for me. I will give Jeff Vandermeer $45 from my wallet. Wow. Damn. You have I will cash. go to an ATM. No, I will go to an ATM. <laughs> Jeff Vandermeer, if you want $45, I will minus go fees. to an ATM. Minus ATM fees. $45 mm, no. minus, oh, St- you'll cover them. Straight. I will cover the ATM. I will go. I don't even have a card right now. I will order a card. Wow. 
from Ohio, where my bank is, I will have that card shipped to me. I will walk to an ATM. I will put it in. I will get $45. I don't mail you through the U.S. Postal Service $45 fucking dollars. Wow. That's never going to make it. That's never going to. A generous the USPS. That's never going to get there. Um, <laughs> with that, on that note. $45, how could you turn it down? While, while we sit, uh, with that just like alpha power play. Um, <laughs> let's take Excuse me, break. Sigma. Do some ads, uh, and we'll be back. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. So, I kind of can't believe we've gone this far without discussing, like, just the setting and just the, the, the mood and vibe of being at the end of the world at the end of the earth, uh, oh, wow. basically. And this is a, this is a uh, film that was shot sort of in two stages. There's the studio work that they did uh, in Los Angeles. And then there's the, what sounds like a truly grueling uh, shoot out on location in uh, British Columbia, I want to say, but I also it sounds right. like their nearest port of call was Juneau, Alaska. I don't know if that's two different locations they're it, using. So I actually, when we were talking, I was talking with some friends about the movie uh, this weekend. One of them was talking about how uh, is the ice fields. Uh, there are ice fields in Alaska. Right. Uh, that is where it was shot because they were like, oh, right. I've the, been there. Okay, yeah. The glaciers <laughs> like, in I've... British Columbia, that's where they do the um, yeah. the, the, the flying saucer landing site. Yeah. I, I think I, I love the setting of this movie. There's, there's, some, there's actually a really excellent um, Jacob Geller video essay that I would really recommend called Fear of the Cold. Uh, that touches on aspects of the thing setting. But one of the things that he points out is, and that the film points out very explicitly, is that, like, motherfucker, you're trapped in here with us. Like, you don't, like, it cannot escape the cold. But also, part of the uncomfortable underpinning of that is, like, in 2022, right? There's, like, an added horror in 2022 with the knowledge that, like, that shit's getting warmer. The thing that the the mechanism through which the thing is kept at bay is breaking down. And the film kind of touches on this, right? With the fact that people are fucking with it and people are investigating shit, one, that they shouldn't, but also that like human systems, irregardless of people's intention, will make it easier for this thing to get out. The existence of technology is what lets it theoretically escape this place. And it'll wait. You know, that's like when they realize... Like, there's that line where they try and figure out, like, well, how long has, like, this thing been here? And it's, like, the implication is, like, you know, you get the opening shot of, like, a, you know, the ship crashing. And now your, your, your brain immediately associates that with, pre- you know, present day. Like, ah, I guess it just crashed here and that's why someone went to get to investigate. It's like, no, 
Like, we're talking on a time scale of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. If this thing needs to wait another couple hundred for, you know, climate change or whatever to catch up, like, it will willingly put itself to sleep in the ice and then just figure it out when when the time is right, which is a truly, t- like, that's what makes, like, once they realize, like, the implication of that, I think, helps explain, like, a lot of, like, McCready's then just, like, you know, and everyone's sort of just, like, complete freak out, like, oh, my fucking God, like, we have to just get rid of whatever this is, because if it's not us, like, the rest of the world will will almost immediately fall. One of my other favorite mechanical notes that, like, increases the, the, the terror of the thing is the fact that uh, the movie supposes that the thing has not just visited Earth. It is this it is this being that has done this over and over again, right? And there is nothing that can survive this cold. In its fucking repertoire of things which it has taken over, nothing can survive this cold, which makes the environment feel so much more uncomfortable and alien and, like, uniquely terrifying, is because, like, even this, even this creature cannot beat the fundamental rules of temperature, and, like, of the operation of this world. Um, and I think that's, like, extremely sick. I think it would be a, a boring cop-out to be, like, the thing can transform into a weird snow bear that can survive in the fucking Antarctic. No, it can't. It cannot. It will die. Or well, it will no. freeze. Yeah, it'll, it freezes. It will freeze, but, yeah. it, freeze, it, will freeze. but it, it can come back. I mean, right. they say it was, in, it was frozen for 100,000 years, so... Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also, it's such a... Like, it, part of what makes... The creature itself, so much more interesting, is most versions of this kind of story mm-hmm. in which, like, a weird little alien parasite arrives. It's like, oh, an asteroid, like, hit the ground. And, like, it was it was hitched to that. And, like, it figured itself out on Earth or, or wherever. Like, it was piloting a spacecraft. Like, this is an advanced civilization that, yes, <laughs> didn't mean to end up on Earth, probably, but maybe was maybe intended to and just not in this form. Uh, didn't, you know, the ship, you know, had some sort of malfunction. But, like, this is an, an adv- like a really advanced civilization that is, when you start to, like, start, unpa- you know, the movie doesn't spend much time thinking about this. It only just plants the seed. And it's one of those things that as you revisit the film or talk about the movie, it's like, holy shit, like, what are there, like, thousands of these, millions of these that are just, like, flying around, just gobbling up? other like the entire like universe is like really horrifying oh the aspect that really creeps me out about that also is it's been it it really just makes humanity feel so small and irrelevant you know it's been in the ice for like before human civilization existed and it's been waiting for us it's been waiting for like irrational creatures to unearth it and not knowing what they have what they have unearthed a lot of like broad comparisons, of course, you can make to you the advancement of human society based on on that reading there, um, which is also terrifying. But it also just reminds me of my particular fascination with deep sea mammals or deep sea mm-hmm. fish, where it's like, we just don't know. We simply just don't know what's down there. <laughs> and it's been there for a long time. And it's like that stuff that's down there, that's the closest to primordial life that we'll ever see. And it's freaky. <laughs> Just leave it alone. You know, like, yeah. we don't need to know. Like, they're leaving us alone. I'm up here. Like, I got my problems. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need a Cloverfield to come out from the bottom of the sea. I love yeah, man. the implication to that uh, carcinization is real in space. Because the bits of, like, alien that we do see basically fall into the, like, the um, crab is optimal. Yeah, the crab is optimal. <laughs> Crabs and tentacles, optimal play, optimal build. <laughs> 
<laughs> one of the things I actually, the other things that wrapped back around to um, Rob's discussion of the porcelain and like the inner, the the strangeness of the way it transforms is that going to make a weird, I'm going to make a comparison. Join me on a journey, everyone. And the anime Jujutsu Kaisen, yes. there is a character named Satoru Gojo. Yes. And his whole, his whole thing is that he has an ability to manipulate infinity, which is to say, like, the distance between, like, two objects, right? He can fuck with the infinite distance between your two hand touching, right? He has a thing that he can do where he can basically expose someone to the sum total of all knowledge and, like, all existence, and it shatters their brain instantaneously. Like, that's his, that's his fucking power move, is being like, here is literally everything, right? The thing... The thing I love about the thing is that it seems to have gotten close to that point, which is why it gets confused. Which yeah. is why, like, it feels like it has... There's so much inside of it, both in terms of information, but also in terms of, like, species. That's why it's so hard to, like, transform quickly. Is because there's just so much fucking shit. <laughs> it's like a Wheel of Fortune wheel, and it's like... Tick, 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 tick. No, no, not that one, not that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's no and it's difficult to manage and like <laughs> gross. And like that is its limitation is the amount of shit contained in it and why it can never perfectly imitate is because like that perfect imitation will always be mired by the 18 imitations that came before it. Sorry, get excited. No, I mean, it's uh, it also makes it well, OK, here's the thing I don't know how I feel about because they call mm-hmm. this out in the commentary, which is that. They also just have one trick that they have to keep pulling, which is the thing is revealed. And one of the things that maybe makes the thing not the the film incoherent, but like what is this creature? Like it becomes so like ineffable as to like what is like how does the imitation work? How does any of this function? Is that a lot of what we see is like how the thing operates is also them being like, Well, we gotta top the last thing we did. Okay, we saw the dog we saw the dog spritzer. Uh, can't do the dog spritzer again. Dog spritzer. Uh, Got it. So have we considered teeth inside of a stomach? I was going to say, have you considered, <laughs> have you considered chest mouth? <laughs> have you considered? And the guy with his little stumps. Ah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, rules. Uh, but the fact that, but the fact that, like, mouth stomach is just the start of that transformation, and it's the whole like. The head's trying to make a break for it. Just all hell's, all hell's breaking loose. That all, everything's stretching out. And, uh, like, the fact that every single one of these transformations, that they're basically like, well, we already, we, we, we really, uh, showed some stuff to the audience last time. Now we need to, now we need to do, mm-hmm. do one bigger and better. And I think they do that right up until it breaks. Like, I, I don't think, that, well, because end. it got cut. What? Like, the fi- the fi- the final set piece like the reason the final set piece it was I only kind of realized this upon this rewatch I was like huh everyone really talks about rightfully so how tremendous the ending is and and, and things like that but like right up until that moment like the final like jaws like confrontation with the creature ah like a little anticlimactic and it's like a little bit of a bummer given to the other practical effects things you've seen before it's more just like here's all that other stuff before and we kind of stacked it on top of each other and here's like a wide shot of it cool. and it's fine uh, and it moves on to the ending really quickly as as Kurt Russell does a really awesome like you know flip maneuver <laughs> off of like it's so it's beautiful but they they cut that uh like a planned sequence then they called it like the box monster or something like that that was supposed to be 
exactly. Like you're identifying a thing that they they knew in the movie existed. It was like, huh? Like we need another ta da, and like the movie just doesn't. It like lacks that final yeah. ta da, and like I think absent the ending that it does have, like the final beat uh, that it has uh, between Childs and McCready, like I think you would leave this movie a lot less satisfied than than you do because of the exchange that the two of those uh, have. I would actually say I think I think it does a really brilliant thing. Actually, is that the final the final reveal, not just the thing like attacking through the floor, not the Jaws shit, right? The actual final reveal is Blair just grabs the other dude's face. He grabs his face and his hands go in like the the distinction between them totally blurs. And so the reveal is not like, look at how weird we can make the thing look. (laughs) It is like, look at this. It has gotten to the point of imitating people where it is just like acting and function and hurting people in a way that feels recognizably human. Grabbing someone's face is a recognizably human sort of violence. And that is part of the terror of that moment for me. And when he starts like dragging him across the ground, it is just like an ex- an exceptionally well done way to subvert the way that they've like established how this thing does violence. That was, um, that, was uh, that, that sequence where he puts his, his face into to the other man's uh, face, other than being like grotesque. It's also one of the few times you get a sense of the personality of the creature, which is like, it's irritated. It's like, I'm fucking done with this. Like, and like the way, like, because it's always just kind of like hanging out in the shadows and you're not really getting a sense of like, what is the core? Like, and it's part of why the movie works is like, we don't know much about this. If you were to lay, peel back all the layers, like what, what is underneath? And we never really find out, but there's something like, there's something about that specific violent act of when it uses the hand is like, Oh, this thing is pissed. And like, it really just wants to get this over with and, and move on to the next phase. Um, and that's part of what gives that moment like a lot more oomph is the fact that like, oh, like this thing doesn't talk, but you know, it's it is it is acting, you know, it is talking through its actions in a way that I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean now that we you point that out, this thing's having a hard week. Yeah, like it's not going <laughs> well. It didn't like the it, it, it ends up fleeing the Norwegian ice station. Um and nearly getting got that way and now yes it spent it spent hours building a spaceship out of <laughs> random detritus it's found it's built a pots and pans spaceship in the basement of this Antarctic <laughs> research lab uh and now they're about to blow it up uh yeah I mean I, it, that does come through I, I I think for me the the thing that doesn't the big the the big stack of yeah thing monsters the doesn't, Final Fantasy boss that's at mm-hmm. the the end of the thing. <laughs> No, and it's just, it's, you know, I think the problem is, well, there's kind of two things. One, it's just not that impressive. And two, they have run out of ways to have awesome reveals. Um, like the, the last, the last reveal of like the, the blood draw sequence. That's Um, the thing. Sorry, I got yeah. excited about the blood draw sequence. I love that sequence so much. The thing I really love about the blood draw sequence is, is the way that it establishes, because we've been talking about the thing as singular. That is also one of the early mistakes of the characters is to treat it like it is one thing mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to like a collection of alive things that we don't have language for. An, like an it is a mode of number life. of things, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. That we just don't, that have to work with each other. And I think that's part of the irritation that comes through at the end is like everything or every collection of 
personhood that has died before this point. The thing is just like, there goes that, there goes that fucking colony of weird <laughs> bullshit. You know, it's, it also- it's interesting watching it now. You can really either look at the thing as a hostile entity or like a terrified animal. Like both readings feel t- perfectly valid to me. And just the way that it seems to be, especially uh, when it, the way it creeps around and hides and tries to do things like without causing it, like in, out and out of the open, it feels in some cases like it is just frightened and confused and trying to figure out what's going on. But it piloted the ship. That's what I think. Yeah. Like undermines that part. And, like it makes it makes it so much. I and mean, I think you're, I think you're right. There, there mm-hmm. could, there's an element to that. But it's like, I mean, dude was piloting a spaceship but you know well, what conception <laughs> of that kind of society do we have at sure, all right. you know yeah, like fair. do they see being part of this hive as being hurtful or harmful <laughs> i mean like i'm you're you know? joining us yeah, like, yeah. this here. is beautiful it's a party coming for a hug you're, you <laughs> yeah. don't need skin anymore yeah it's, it's chill great... right why are you screaming <laughs> <laughs> listening to no, uh, they're happy. They're happy. Ah! <laughs> listening to Ren describe the the thing as these organisms, like maybe realize kind of how deft, uh, like, uh, hint a, a move of body horror that is. It's like you're just describing human cells, right? Like we are already yeah. made up of a tiny Whoa. million, tiny billion organisms working together, right? And like yeah. it's blowing up the what the self can be as far as like yeah the mm-hmm. cells on like the skin cells are part of myself right like and like the idea that then what if we gave each of those individual things its own seemingly its own will right like yeah it's kind of a, a terrifying concept also just i'm gonna take one moment to welcome to the body horror corner <laughs> I- imagine how fucking gross the inside of those ships are when they're flying because like because like they're not turning into a dude there's not like a guy fucking pushing controls in a spaceship yeah. there is just like a, a a writhing mass of meat that makes a ship go and that is like using interfaces that like would physically repulse anyone who saw it and that's also like part of the thing i love about the movie is like at one point they're like looking at like pieces of spaceship and like because like in another world it'd be like we can reverse engineer this and at one point one of them jokes oh we'll get a nobel prize for this and then goes no we fucking won't and they're looking at the shit and it's like what is this what what the what am i even looking at my that nobel prize that- in discovering this shit <laughs> <laughs> hey look at this shit nobel prize that's really good to work there is no human referent for the kind of technology that they have. Like, there is no... When they look at the fucking ship it's building in the basement, they're not like, ah, uh, yes. They're like, what the fuck is this? What is he doing? <laughs> it's, it's... I love it. Well, also, I don't know if it's like... I don't know if it's intended this way. But it has such a... Like, that. that's not a spaceship. You don't have the components to build a spaceship here. You have... That is sheet metal... And like some like Radio Shack electronics and like bits of like bits of like step ladder that you've repurposed. Like it is there's something really um Oh, it's cute. it is look it what, is, look what this little alien is doing down the here. Alien building itself like a, like a raft with a sail, basically, to try to get <laughs> off this fucking island it's stranded on. Well, but is but it isn't possibly the implication there that because we don't understand the true form of it. 
like, look, yes, in the in the opening shot of the film, it seems like this is an enormous, like how we think of like a UFO. But actually, this thing formless can do what it wants. Like, actually, like I could just have a donut, and like I just I just need to get like, like, like get is out of this atmosphere. Meat, is the mechanics of the ship built around meat? Well, that's what I thought. That we I, don't, don't I thought maybe yeah. would, there yeah. is no form to it. That like it's just part of the ship. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I was also thinking is that like yeah, it's there isn't wiring in that ship. It's all neat. It's all <laughs> fucking neat. <laughs> well, so there's a cut scene where um where Wilfred Brimley's uh doctor does explain people like he tries to explain like he tries to get into this whole like this thing is like humans and unlike humans. He's like it's not networks of cells the way we're used to talking about them. It's not like organ systems or like right. um cellular tissue this 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 like is the closest the movie comes and and i think there's probably a reason they cut it right i think they they want to be kind of ambiguous about what's really going on but he does sort of enunciate this idea of like every single cell here is an individual actor but they're all working together to put on these like seamless performances Hmm. the thing i love about that is the fact that that's the fucking that's the thing that the meta research base can't do. They are all so individualistic and so incapable of connecting with one another in, in these ways. It is like both their greatest strength and their greatest weakness, right? Is there like a, a bill there? Like humanity's capacity as independent actors is one of the key things about this movie where it's like, okay, this organism acts as a collective where that is what basically almost kills the base is people not doing that. Mm-hmm. But the final moments of the film is McCready being a like individual actor and being like, we got to blow this shit up, I guess. Uh, do we, if we want to, I don't know if it was too early to get into the, the like go right into the scene at the end, or, go like, for it. into like how the movie ends, but something about even exactly gone in plot order. No, uh, no. So you (laughs) can jump all you want. The, uh, the, the, the column at the end for some reason felt like a red herring to me. Like it feels like because the thing is like both like individual, like each, each like individual cells is an individual actor and like they're trying to survive what they want. All you need is one of them to survive. And those things are small and tiny. It almost feels like part of it is like focus over here, make them think that they've gotten all of me, but really I've already found a different safe vessel. Uh, whether that's McCready or Childs is kind of like the ambiguous part for me, but I am convinced that one of the two is infected already. Well, there's that moment where McCready goes away and he comes back and you he doesn't t- talk about what happened to him. And then that's like deli- clearly deliberately inserted there to make you question whether or not as an audience member you can trust him well his jacket's shredded yeah you know he he doesn't talk about he refuses to talk about what happened and it's totally in character for what we know about mccready and how aggressive and hostile he is to literally everyone but we have been so used to thinking of him as the hero that by the end you'd have to reconsider that and it's like deeply uncomfortable for the viewer so I, one of the things that um, in his commentary, Car- Carpenter talks about how negatively this was, re- was received. Uh, but part mm-hmm. of it was also that there are people who didn't like the the levels of gross out horror uh, that the movie's going for. But also there are people who are just like, it's such a hopeless, like dour movie. It's such a grim, grim thing. But he does make this argument that for him, the thing that, the, the thing that is hopeful here is that 
at the end of the film, all of these guys have given up on escaping that what they are doing is they're building a sarcophagus for the thing. Mm. Again, they are trying to like every single one of them is committed to, we're not trying to get ourselves out of the space. We are trying to make it so that nothing can escape the space. Um, and at the end, like whether or not one of them is infected or not, there are no longer, ideally, there's no longer means to escape. That They're going to watch each other either freeze to death if they're both humans. Right. Uh, or, like, one of them will transform or reveal itself. But it's pointless. Like, they're, they're both, yeah. whatever is the state there at the end, they are stuck with each other. And right. nobody's leaving. Yeah. Right. I think that's the film's, like, fundamental assertion is, like, the, the only way to identify human, like, the, the human characteristic is the fact that when they burn, their blood doesn't run. Like it is like that. That to me is the is the the thing will when exposed to you know a negative external stimuli will activate self preservation mode uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. And the thing that the characters in this film do is is throw that out the window at some point and and say actually no, my life is not the essential thing here. And like in that way, I think the the film's actually somewhat hopeful, or or has a hopeful read of what people are. Right. Like at our core, yeah. Because um, the the function of the society of the thing is survival at all costs. Even right. if everyone else dies, a little piece of the thing survives. Here they do the inverse, which is allow themselves to do commit self sacrifice, allow themselves to die for the good of the whole, which is just not necessarily what we see the thing doing in in, in when it's threatened in the film. Right, and like that's part of the interesting thing about the fact that like the thing is a collective actor versus or as a reactive actor versus human like the humans in this film as not able to connect with each other interpersonally but being able to make decisions about other people mm-hmm. and like make decisions for other people mm-hmm. even if they can't connect with them and i think that's really really interesting because the thing has an ability to connect with people without fail it can it can read your mind it can do all of this shit but it cannot make a decision about anything other than itself they yeah. shot um the, the the original ending is the one that's in the film, which like it tested exceptionally. I mean, this is a movie that reviewed poorly, was not a huge success, but like in like the process of testing it before it came out, they had the original original ending. They there's a version where they edit around Childs coming back, and it's just McCready by himself, self sacrificing. You know, it's, it's keeping a lot of of what's in that ending, but like. I think a, a lacking humanity that occurs as a result of the exchange between McCready and Childs. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one where like rescue comes, he gets his blood tested and he tests negative for thing, thing 19. Um, and like <laughs> the, the, the implication being like, they did it. Like they locked it away there. Like, don't worry about it. It's like, as though like the military isn't going to come in and co-op that shit and like yeah. cause like a much bigger problem. But eventually they like Carpenter kind of got, Got his way. Like the one compromise he made with the studio, I think, is that um, if you, there's an explosion that happens right at the at the very end, and there's almost like a there's a scream that goes with it because the studio wanted the the audience to get the implication that oh yeah, like it's probably dead. That's they got why it's it. Screaming. Mm-hmm. They got it. Um, and that was one where he just l- let the studio win that fight as part of keeping the ultimate ending, which I think is you know it's so hard to imagine this film without that or at least not being nearly as memorable like that that exchange is like a huge part of what makes this movie not just like 
the effects are great. Like if you didn't have that ending, it's still like an aesthetically interesting movie. But that exchange between uh, those two is like part of what makes it an all time classic. Yeah. Simply nothing other to say than, yeah, this movie fucking rules. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> part of the reason it's been sometimes difficult to discuss this movie is because it is, it's so deeply considered, right? There's like not a lot, there's not a lot of sort of crack chinks in the armor here to get through to, to identify things, like interesting, complicated things about the film. It, and it's a pretty straightforward movie, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. For, like, I mean, it, there's a lot to talk about, but like, it's, I think, you know, you, you mentioned this earlier, Ben, but like you called it precise, like, that's a lot of Carpenter's work in general. Like yeah. Halloween is also I was about to an say. incredibly precise movie. And I granted, like he was better at this like earlier in his work than, you know, like 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 most creatives, like was was more precise earlier than later. But like a huge part of what made him such so interesting as a filmmaker is that level of pre- Halloween is just as if if not more more precise than than the thing. And uh part was tra- you know, one thing that I think is having, you know, read up on this um and trying to find new ways into it, Gita, was that like this movie kind of broke Carpenter. Like it's sort of uh, this movie bombs um, and is critically panned. He was supposed to, uh, what was the movie he was supposed to do after this? He was tied to a big movie and basically got like punted off of it. Cause they were like, yeah. nah, like, and, and he has spoken about how much he, how personally he took the rejection of this film um, in a way that like, he doesn't I mean he makes stuff after this um and it's not like he's completely broken as a filmmaker but um there's like this a different was... world where the thing is a success or like more of a success or like uh and like we have a different like second half of, of Carpenter's career. career. This was such a personal project for him. I I from recalling correctly because he really really enjoyed the original thing movie and really he saw really four. Yeah. He, and said it was like so just like formative. just like yeah yeah and, and it felt you can from what I've read of him and sort of how I know that now he sort of let it go and he like doesn't make mm-hmm. movies anymore so that's like a big part of it he but, cashes checks yeah exactly <laughs> respects to John Carpenter yeah um still makes great scores and uh with his <sighs> son so love that that's don't, good for everybody if you don't like the Halloween the new Halloween movies respect it I think the first one's much better than the terrible second one but his soundtracks he does with his son. So good. and and the uh, the lost shoot whatever like the couple, he's done a couple albums of essentially like synth LPs um, that he also does with his son are in cr- like they are crunchy and and good as hell like and I, I highly recommend them literally banger after banger after banger it's mm-hmm. like unbelievable um, <clears throat> but there you can the thing that this movie lost out to I mean the the big smash hit that happened at this time other than the thing was E T. This was just a completely inhospitable landscape for this kind of bleak, <laughs> hostile, mean. Yeah, I mean, Poltergeist too. And Poltergeist is so much more campy in its deploy, mm-hmm. the way it deploys its horror. So this is a horror in a world where it's trying to ask you to look deep into the heart of man and like accept what you see there, which is it goes out of its way to say like deep in the heart of man is a lot of anger and pain and unwillingness to get along with your fellow man. The fact that this base is so stratified into black people and white people always stands out to me. And the way that comes down between Childs and McCready and like playing on the natural tendencies of white and black audiences to interpret these characters' motivations differently. Like, that's, to me, feels intentional, but also I can imagine at this moment in time not being something that people wanted to think about when they're going to go see a movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and it doesn't feel, 
it feels like a shame that this wasn't a hit and was also critically panned, but it doesn't feel wrong to me that that is what happened. No. You know, I. Well, and, am, it's, and it's fascinating that yeah. this, like, so at the time, E.T.'s at the top of the charts. Um, uh, when I was reading, like, the box office, like, Poltergeist was, like, in its fourth week, which is also a Spielberg production. He was a producer on that, but Tobe Hooper of Texas Chainsaw Massacre directed that, or I guess, like, Ghost directed it, depend, depending on, like, what you read about well, the history of Spielberg that movie. Well, Ghost directed it, right? The, like, Spielberg yeah, ghost directed it. Yeah, like, there's, like, arguments back and forth on that. But, like, yeah. yes, like, Spielberg was, like, really heavily involved. And, like, Poltergeist is, like, the, like, that is about, like, has some really fucking gnarly special effects. The sequence in the mirror um, is is a really horrifying. Um, it's about as close as, as Spielberg gets to, who has, like, roots in horror and basically abandoned it once he became, like, the popcorn children's mm-hmm. uh, movie uh, filmmaker and you see elements of it in like Jurassic Park and you know, stuff like, like that. Jaws is think, just like a creature feature when you get down to it, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just, he mo- he, he's given a quote at some point where Spielberg basically said like, unfortunately I got really popular with families and then had to sort of abandon like his like gnarlier elements and there's like a different path of Spielberg that's like mm-hmm. really interesting. But You can see it kind of come back in War of the World. You do, yeah. yeah you've yeah. absolutely seen a bunch of his films. And, yeah. uh, but I think Poltergeist like is, that's a, a body more, body horror movie with heart. And and although the thing has heart, it doesn't wear it on its sleeve mm-hmm. the way that um, Poltergeist does. And I think it's like, not a hugging those... and learning movie. It is simply right, not. Right. They're not moral. Yeah. Le- it is not didactic in the way that yeah, like 1950s horror that it was based on is didactic. It is just a lot. It's just like a bleak film, and that's just hard. Like those are the kinds of. It's like it's like imagining martyrs <laughs> as like a, a major blockbuster <laughs> film. That's just not going to happen. That's a self. Yeah, how do we film. get this podcast to watch martyrs? Like, oh how, my god, how do we get? Like, do you? I'm want, not sure we could. Waypoints 101 having depression. Like that's what it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, martyrs is one of my. Fa- that is that is that is a top ten other movies get budged off. Like, Can we just do a side pod about the new French extremity? Let's watch sure. Inside watch Martyrs. The inside, yeah. 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 I'm in. Like, you and, you and I, we'll just do it on our own. We're not going yeah. <laughs> to... I don't know if I can subject the rest of this podcast to, to Martyrs. Maybe Ren. I can see Ren and do it. <laughs> I think yeah? I can do okay. it. Yeah, okay. Okay, Ren. Martyrs, Martyrs is a movie that I just, like, I'm very reluctant. Even people are like, what do you think of horror and body horror specifically? Like, oh, look, I'm okay with it. And I was like, no. We need to have, like, a real conversation about, like, how you feel about violence yeah, depicted on yeah. screen. Yeah, like, how much of it can, are you willing to put inside that movie your took, eyeballs? takes my breath away. No, like, give me. But has, Fuck me up. Let's just the religious the best- ecstasy of violence is what that mm. movie is about. And uh, they go for it. The French, they really go for it. <laughs> as a walking piece of body horror <laughs> who remembers her nightmares like their memories uh, and has some very troubling things happen to her in her nightmares, let me tell you. I'm fine. <laughs> I, I, I will. You, ha- should, you specifically are the target I, audience. Yeah, for I think Ren could, and, and I think Rob. Yes, we have now yes. talked it up so much that Rob would feel the need to be included. Yes. And yes. I want to live in a world where Rob has seen the ending of Martyrs. It's just if you have any background with Catholicism, you should probably see Martyrs. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, given that Catholicism is heritable, or at least parts of it are, uh, then yes. Um, I I will say like. I feel like one of the other things Carpenter alludes to this that like the thing doesn't do the turn to the audience and wink like later like eighties horror film and then all things nineties up to now basically like tend to be like mainstream horror tend to have like almost the genre gets Whedon esque before Whedon esque is a thing in mm-hmm. some ways where it's like ha ah, you know we've all we all know these tropes we we're in on these jokes the thing is like from the shoulder sincere. 
in a way where it's like this all like like this is with the exception of like what the fuck this is not a movie that's going to be like haha it's all safe like it's all you know mm-hmm. we're just we're just knowingly playing in the playing with these tropes it's like it is, it is bleak it is like it is there is no escape for you as an audience to be like you know this is i'm in on the joke and so are these characters and so none of this really counts like it all it all kind of counts in the thing. And I'm not sure that moment, I wonder if that moment was even sustainable, right? That like the reason horror becomes so self-referential in, in some ways, is because as the genre gets better codified and like people get more attuned to the tropes, like part of it now has to be, you sort of have to tip your hat to the fact that we all, you know, we all tend to know what's going on or you're going off and completely like fucked up directions where like the the types of horror we're talking about do not make into popular films. Um, well, and also th- this lands, you know, in, in the wake of Halloween in the wake yeah. of like uh, horror being franchised and at, like as horror gets franchised, it gets more meta. And as it gets more meta, I don't know, it, it loses that sort of core. I don't want to like not call it art, but like there is something to the thing in itself seriousness that is lost as we enter like the eighties and nineties Especially the nineties and horror is a (laughs) just go eighties is great. Skip most. There's some stuff in the nineties, but most you want to jump to the two thousands at that point. So there's one last thing I want to mention here, which is that I think it is hearing Carpenter and Russell talk about this film and parts of the shoot. It is it like parts of this do like land differently, or at least you think you take these things more seriously in the wake of stuff like what happened on the set of Rust, uh, where Helena Hutchins was was killed by a live round. Uh, because, like, there's part, like, Russell jokes about it on the commentary that, like, one of the explosions they had, they didn't really, like, manage the load well. <laughs> like, he gets, like, he's like, I nearly got killed by, like, pieces of debris. Uh, from It's like the second time they used dynamite, he's throwing dynamite after someone outside. Mm-hmm. Um, the explosion was such a shock and there was so much debris around that like it stopped shooting for the days and like in Russell's mind it was like a near death experience right there's the moment where he turns and shoots Mansur in the head with a pistol <laughs> and they talk about how nervous they all were about that stunt because blank round or not you are still turning and pointing a gun at somebody at like very close range and like discharging blanks kill people all the time. Yeah, exactly. And so like this stuff like scared the shit out of them. Plus the fact that the set was like, everyone's getting sick uh, because like, let's see in the LA set, it's because the humidity levels and the temperature differences were so severe that like, you're just in like cold fog all the time. Oh boy. And then out in the location, they're talking about like, well, one, you're dealing with a bunch of like wild bush pilots um, who are like, apparently when McCready takes off like 50 feet off the deck or something, the, the, the trained pilot just like turned the controls over to Kurt Russell and was like, all right, take her up. <laughs> and so he's like, you can see the moment where like the chopper sort of bucks and just begins elevating because Russell like doesn't know much, but he knows he doesn't want to go down. So he just feeds the broder uh, to start like rocketing up into the air. Um, they talk about the fact that like on that ice field, there's like a really steep drop off that like 
in bad conditions you just couldn't see. Um, and so, like, so much of the magic of this film is dealing with the danger of both, like, practical effects and, like, location shooting. And it is, like, they're very good at running a set like this. Uh, and they obviously do all carry it off. When we talk about the precision, right? It is, it is to a degree, like, pulling off a thing like this requires a lot of, like, obsessive preparation and attention to detail. Uh, but at the same time, like, some of what they are doing scared the participants. And to to this day, people are like, we had some near misses on this. And that's something I... I do tend to think about when I when I when I watch this now is like I treasure movies like this and like I wish there were more of them. I also think I I probably come to this now with a greater understanding and respect for like doing films like this, even something on a smaller scale like this, can be incredibly like grueling and dangerous in a way that is easy to underrate when you you tend to think like well, I'm sure there's tons of movie magic for some of this stuff. No, there isn't. Like sometimes <laughs> it's just sometimes the movie magic is somebody paid you a fortune. Uh somebody set aside a fortune to like have you and a bunch of your colleagues freeze on an ice field for like 3 months. Yeah, and like that's the movie like magic but you had to do days, it. You know? Yeah. Like and like also I mean thinking about the baseline activity of acting <clears throat> which not every actor does this. Some people truly do just say lines. But at the very least, Kurt Russell and Keith David were like actually trying to access human emotion and recall them on cue to like create an impactful, uh, impactful uh, performance as an actor. And you can tell, you know, in some scenes, like in, there are some human emotions that are simply very destructive and difficult to access. Uh, anger being one mm-hmm. of them. Keith David is angry every single scene he shows up in in this movie. He's a one mad motherfucker. He Probably has a lot of reasons to be mad. <laughs> you know? What's up? Probably helps that his hand is broken as hell. Yeah, um, no, I'd be pissed if that was happening to me. I'm cold, <laughs> I'm sick, wait, my wait, hand is broken. Keith David's <laughs> hand is broken? Mm-hmm. So he had like a motorcycle accident during making of the film. So like when they're on location, his hand is all busted up. And so there's a point where he comes running down the hall and he's using Kurt Russell's body to screen his hands. You can't get a look at it because it looks incredibly swollen and horrible, but it's actually not just totally swelled up. It is that they put latex like over the cast and then matched his skin tone with paint over the latex. And so his hand looks like it's fucking inflated. It looks like it looks like a broken hand. Like if you never get it diagnosed or treated, it just swells right. the side of a grapefruit. But like, like probably, probably concentrates the mind when you're playing these scenes of like, I'm out here on a glacier in Alaska and my hand is throbbing. Oh, and by the way, we can't run the heat inside because we'll melt the snow off the roof of the set we built and we want mm-hmm. that snow. So mm-hmm. everything has to be 31 degrees. I listen Brown people aren't built for that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, we're not. <laughs> like, y'all see niggas playing hockey? We don't do that. <laughs> it's too cold. <laughs> I feel so Look, that's, much. That's just man. Keith, that's his. That's his dedication to the craft. Is like we are we are going to freeze you in Alaska. And you're going to be really pissed off about it. When and you it think about method. that. And then also having to do acting on top of that. You begin to understand why actors are paid so much money. I would simply not do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it's also interesting for, like, how they shot um, 
a bunch of this film. You know, I think understandably the way they shoot modern blockbusters where it's like, oh, you'll see the behind the scenes. Like, look at all this, this green screen. Um, in the thing, I, they do a really good job of editing together the sequences with the really elaborate animatronics and puppetry, making you giving the illusion that like, oh, they are responding to at least something on set. Mm-hmm. And then you read about it and it's like, no, they were not. Like Carpenter was like putting an X on the ground and holding yes. up pieces of pro- of production art to be like, so later we'll have this really creepy spider thing that you all need to respond to. And so the more things change, the more they stay the same, which is that, yeah, you know, you watch, you know, uh, you know, big actors on Marvel movies or whatever and like responding to a guy holding a green ball. And on this film, it's like, well, they were responding to an X on the ground and some pencil artwork that John Carpenter yeah. is holding up. Um, My first and- day in a cinema studies class in, in college was uh, an explanation of that scene where uh, they start singing La Marseillaise uh, in Casablanca. And mm-hmm. um, in that scene, there's a cutaway to indicate that Humphrey Bogart's character is, is like giving the okay. There's yes. a cutaway. He walks in and he nods and he walks back out. And it looks... You know, Humphrey Bogart's so cool. It, it looks like it's such a badass moment for that character in that film. They simply told him to hit his mark and nod. And that's what he did. You know, that's just <laughs> he know a what lot of what. Yeah, he has no idea what he's nodding at. And he has no idea what context it is in. He had no idea that movie was like that scene was happening. The people on the set of Casablanca were sure that it was going to be a flop. They did not think it was going to be a good movie. And it turned out great. You know, I think what makes the difference between like um, the Marvel movie, like everything is green screen set up and movies like The Thing or even something like um, that uses a LED visions, the sort of new technology that was developed for The Mandalorian, um, mm. because they couldn't do green screen in The Mandalorian, I, I learned recently, because the suit is the best car armor is too shiny. They wouldn't be able to match the reflections in the ah! green oh, that's, that's <laughs> reflecting off of him. Well, time to invent a brand new technology. Thank God for Unreal <laughs> Show Engine. work. Yeah, which is just like a wild... But you can see the difference between how people act in sci-fi environments in The Mandalorian and also in mm-hmm. The Batman, which is another yeah. place they use that, um, versus how people sort of look like they're floating in space in some Marvel movies, where yeah. the, what clearly made the difference here was that all of these men were in the same room acting against each other in a physical space with limits. Well, with- I sent you that clip. Uh, there was a... Um, so there's the big like 90 minute documentary on YouTube. And then there's also this like 10 minute, if you just search for the thing behind the scenes, it's like nine yeah. minutes It's clearly some sort of promotional thing that was like, while they were shooting it to promote the like, and the thing is coming this fall. Like, I don't know if this went to distributors or whatever, but it's, it's an interesting piece of archival work. And like about seven minutes into this thing is, uh, about like, like how, like how much fun, like maybe not all the time, but like basically to try and like get by during this grueling, uh, shoot it's like all the guys just like hanging out you've got you've got Keith David like like sit, has a beautiful singing voice oh, like yeah. people busting out keyboards and like clearly people just getting drunk on the set while they're like waiting to do some like, like to set up for something else and like you you really got the sense that um like these people got to know each other and that like bleeds through into all their interactions with one another um it doesn't feel like people just showed up on set did their line nodded and walked off like Mm -hmm. it really feels like these people went through some shit together Mm -hmm. and that that ends up leading into the product itself yeah despite the lack of intimacy the camaraderie comes through yeah i I was gonna say i think one of the things that like both defines this movie as a text and also a production is that a bunch of fucked up weirdos went to a place (laughs) yeah (laughs) like 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 that's, that's the thing is that like 
But the problem is there's a bunch of movies about fucked up weirdos going to a place and no fucked up weirdos are going any places. You gotta put the <laughs> fucked up weirdos in the place. Yeah. You have to. You do. That is the most succinct explanation of why location and practical are critical, but I think that is that is true. <laughs> like, you gotta put the weirdos in the place. You can't pretend to. <laughs> you gotta send like, them. You and you you know what? If you really want to, you can have a lot of you can have a lot of like non-practical effects. But you have to have the fucked up weirdos in the place. You get there has to be a place for fucked up weirdos to be, and mm-hmm. that that does not just apply to like actors. That applies to all the fucking weirdos who are like the weird fucking key grip. You need that guy. Yeah, you need that fucking weirdo. His yeah. vibes are important. Yeah, it's uh, when you watch the Batman, which is like not a perfect film by any means. It's like a half hour too long for by for sure, and. Yeah. I don't know. The Riddler's perfect. It's it's just like, I don't know. By the time you get to the point where the Riddler is not on screen anymore and he's just in Arkham, my my interest in the film plummets. It's just like, every time Paul Dano's on screen, people should be asking themselves, where's Paul Dano? Uh, <laughs> that's my reaction to this movie. Um, but there's... That's just the fact that they, they clearly built at least like two or three big sets like big sets and you can tell that they actually built them because they use them multiple times <laughs> they are not wasting any of that money and i i love that it gives it a very much a tim burton's 1989 batman feeling more so than the the bale batman which is just literally chicago i was living in chicago when they those movies were coming out and it's just like there's fucking chicago <laughs> you know, it's really unnatural it, hold on <clears throat> chicago doesn't need to be anything but chicago to be gotham like yeah. they I'm do sorry. have the most corrupt lower wacker drive time. lower wacker drive is the most batman fucking place on the planet like Yo, it's like Lori what the fuck is, going on is a batman villain i swear yeah. to god <laughs> um yeah i mean like i uh yeah there's one other so there's one other thing so fun thing i learned from the commentary on this which i didn't realize about realize so kurt russell jokes about how often he's having to hold a flare close to his face to light to basically like key light himself with flare light mm-hmm. and he's just like sucking down flare fumes and he's like it's horrible and by the way when uh, they when they I relate to that why <laughs> I was making a reference to our keyboard streams oh god <laughs> um <laughs> so the the other the other thing is uh when they during the autopsy scene, mm-hmm. when they crack it open and the fumes are released, they're like, hey, guess what? The chemicals we use to make the thing do, do smell horrific. And everyone's breaking themselves to act. And then, like, we crack this bottle open and it's just a nightmare. But Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Russell talks about, he was like, it made me realize, like, how something like the set of The Conqueror happens where everyone on it gets cancer after the fact, <sighs> which I didn't realize. I had totally missed that, like, there's a theory that John Wayne's cancer was maybe not due to his like massive cigarette habit, but the fact that they made this one movie where he was horribly miscast as Genghis Khan. God. But they shot it in the Utah desert in the wake of tons of nuclear testing. And then for verisimilitude, they shipped the dirt back to their studios. Why would the, you ship the because dirt Because you gotta back. match the dirt color to what you did in the location shots. Obviously. Holy. That was not a twist oh I was God. I prepared for. <laughs> so out of 200 some people on the set of this thing, 
like 90 got cancer uh, from, from it. And like it is over double the rate of what you'd expect from a population study of that number of people to like develop cancer. Right. And so the theory is like uh, this is one of the most incredibly cursed films. But Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell's there like kind of wonder if all the chemicals we were inhaling from like the fucked up models and the sheer number of times characters just like standing wreathed in flares he's like kind of wonder if that's okay seems like it's all worked out i think it's i think it's very easy to get into a trap of being like it's so cool when when films are raw, when art is raw. Oh, it's so it's so sick when art is raw. That's a very easy trap to fall into. But I do think it is looking at art as the direct product of bodies and any of its various configurations. Fucking rule. Like it is as a lens is is really cool. And it's like when looking at practical effects, that is where the lens is most obvious. And like the the material process that produces art is like super sick and terrifying and weird and people shouldn't try to inhale fumes less that's Mm -hmm. my take but they should be made to go shoot on a glacier I am pro like make the weirdos sit on the glacier and shoot yes you have to put the weirdos in the place you you gotta put the weirdos in the place and that's what we do every week here at waypoint (laughs) <laughs> uh, that will do it for today's podcast. Hold on, one one piece of like, like this fucking movie. I don't know how to pronounce the name, and I don't want to butcher podcast it. This is never Sergio Le- Sergio mm-hmm. Leone's composer uh, Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone. Yes, mm-hmm. composed an entire soundtrack for this film that was just thrown out, and it only exists on the external The Thing soundtrack. Well, wait, the main I, title. Like, still you also love that right? fact. The main, t- the only thing that is intact from his work uh, collaborating with uh, Carpenter was Carpenter sent him. A couple of samples of of what of what his work, and then he like tries to incorporate a bunch of synthesizers into his work. That like dun 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 dun. That I believe comes out of that collaboration. I and wonder why it sounded the, so much like a Carpenter composition. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so that that is the collaboration between the two of them. And then I think more or less like the rest was just tossed out, but exists as a complete work. I would die of embarrassment. I would never be able to work with Ennio Marconi again because I'd just be like, uh, we're still, you know, the director's cut. I'm going to get that. It's it's so good. It's not going to waste. I promise. It's like yeah, 2008. Like entire conversation from what Renata said about art being a product of like actual human beings and like human labor to like this stuff. This is like why I love movies, why I have a degree in cinema why I, I love that the creation of these things is so messy, so fly by the seat of your pants, even in an, in uh, a movie that is so perfectly composed as this one. And you enter into this magical space of the movie theater and have no knowledge of that and are simply transported to a different place. That movies are fucking great. I every, time I I've, say. every time I've asked a person who while on a set, is this normal? They go, Yes, they're all like this. They're all fucked up. Like there is no like walking into the Vice News studio and being like, there's a bunch of fucked up shit over there. Like, that's just a pile of shit. I was like, is it normal for a pile of shit to just be everywhere? And they're like, yes, everywhere. No matter how fucking composed you think a production is, whether it's a news program, with the exception of like maybe one or two things, that shit is barely held together. And that is why people fucking rule. Weird individualistic creatures who can sometimes set that aside to maybe survive for another day as a collective.
Speaking of collective, this is all made possible by Waypoint Plus. You can learn more at waypointplus.com. And that's going to make it possible for uh, Patrick and I, but also the rest of the crew individually, to explore the 2002 video game, The Thing. Uh, we're going to, we're going to see how adaptable, uh, this is to <laughs> the medium as it stood in the year 2002. Oh, uh, so Patrick and I, like, I think, uh, the plan right now, this, you might be able to catch it if you're listening the day this podcast comes out, because Patrick mm-hmm. and I stay up very late, way past our bedtimes. Uh, <laughs> That's not stream true. My bed, my bedtime, maybe not yours. <laughs> I mean, Damn, look, get my aspirational ass. bedtime. Okay, the time right, of night every night you tell yourself like maybe this night maybe this yeah night. right when right when <laughs> sports or tv or video games seem the most appealing it's uh-huh. uncanny weird like how it keeps yeah, happening every time rob is walking past buildings being like that's my aspirational home in this in this <laughs> like no it fucking isn't it's aspiration that shit isn't yours you cannot claim that and I guess the game takes place uh, is technically a sequel to the movie, so it takes place in like the cleanup of the outpost. Amazing. Uh, whereas oh the um, so I guess I guess so that Keith Davis, your tutorial. Kurt, I guess that presumes they were wrong. They they didn't get rid of that creature. This is what so I'm much. saying. <laughs> Sorry to McCready and Childs, but your all your attempts were. I'm just imagining a Call of Duty style cutscene where it's a close up on like like polygonal childs being like wow that was a close one good thing you you guys are here you can you'd help us clean up the just absolute absolute perfection uh that the that the grid the, the worst possible ending is that to, <laughs> to mccready and childs l plus ratio plus your dad plus you're in hell forever plus it's your fault per <laughs> <laughs> the video game per the video game uh, what else can you say uh well i don't know what else to say but i can promise that we're gonna check out the thing from outer space we're gonna figure out something to do with that i think the plan is maybe some sort of commentary thing mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. first time playing around this format we'll see i remember this movie being good i remember really digging it uh on, when i and, saw it on and rob where, where will this go oh uh it'll go on uh twitch.tv slash uh waypoint for a very brief period of time. Very brief. Very, extremely. We cannot overstate how briefly <laughs> a period of time. And I believe, correct me if wrong, it will also be, be going fine. to I trust the, our audience. the Waypoint Plus feed afterwards. Yeah, I mean, there will be, there will be a file the, that this will yeah. live on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you'll be able to sync it with your viewing of The Thing from Outer Space, a movie that you love. You just don't know mm-hmm. it yet. I hope. <laughs> uh, our theme music is... You know, this feels like a slide asleep show. A theme music is oh, sure. Slide Asleep by Two Mello. You can learn more and check out the rest of Two Mello's catalog at twomellomakes.bandcamp.com. Uh, we'll talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. Unless you're infected by the thing, in which case, you know, don't go. Do not go Don't go home. home. Just <laughs> stay in the Antarctic. Maybe go to a place with some weirdos. Go figure out a place you can die of exposure. Go there. <laughs> if you're infected with the thing. Assuming you know. That's an open question.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I mean, this. Carpenter I was about... I, this podcast will never <laughs> fucking end. I... The, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, over. Like, it's over. We're now. No, we're now I was OT. sitting there, and Rob was like, "Rob, I felt it. I felt. I felt the additional joke coming." And I was like, "We have to give him space. We have to let that. We have to let the master do his work. <laughs> you gotta let the let the weirdos be weirdos. Gotta put, exactly. Gotta put a final. Gotta gotta gild the last leaf of this lily." <laughs>